0: All right. Anybody want to wake up to some super awesome news? Yes. Yes. I mean, right? Do you guys want some great news? Yes. Okay. Because last night the kingdom of heaven rejoiced. It was one of our sweet sisters decided to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of her life. <laughs> Woo-hoo! Now I'm not gonna point her out, Linda. <laughs> But why don't you stand and do like a victory lap for us, Linda, so we can say, "Yes." And it was so cool, because I was talking to her up here, and God let me kind of plant seeds and whatever, and then she went back to her sisters, who then got the privilege and honor of leading her to Christ. But it was so cool, because up here, I saw one face, and then I talked to a few other people, and then I went over there, and it was a whole different countenance. It was just delightful. So welcome to the family sister. There might be another one, two, 10 of you in here that are on that fence of like, oh, my heart's a burning. That's cool. I'm still here again after session. And so are the people sitting next to you. And God is always with you. And so don't leave here without making that your final destination. If you're sitting here like, man, I don't know. Oh, don't wait. Why wait? Why wait? Let's do it now together and we can all celebrate with you. That would be such a privilege and honor. So woohoo, awesome. Awesome. All right, there's a ton of stuff that happened at Silver Birch this weekend, and here's what I'll tell you, it's not like Vegas where you say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. (laughs) What happens at Silver Birch goes out from Silver Birch, right, and so everything we learned here this weekend, let's take it out and let it impact not only our lives, but share it with the people around you. Let that have the ripple effect so what happened here isn't just confined to this limited weekend time slot. Let it be a game changer. I'm hopeful, man, even as I say this. How many of you, as we went through Daniel and we looked at the three possible responses to what God did for us making peace with the enemy, sticking around in the wilderness and not going into the promised land, or becoming a fierce warrior like Daniel? How many of you kind of felt in your soul like, I want to be a Daniel? I want to be, like, put him high, get him high. Yeah, right? And so really, if we could leave here and take that warrior mentality with us, whoo, to see what he, look what he did with Daniel. He loves using the underdog, right? And so I, I'm, I've always been an underdog. I love that. I'm like, let's go. Let's see what you can do, Lord. So I hope that's the mindset you take with you. Power unleashed. We're going to look at that. So today, we are looking at what it looks like to take everything we've learned and to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. And so what this means is that, and I've heard this a lot lately, so I do know it's a theme that's coming around and it is something we need to take a look at. Because I can preach it to you all weekend and I can say, this is what you should do. You know, To live it in my own life is very difficult. I won't lie to you. That's hard, but not impossible because God wouldn't, wouldn't tell us that we have that power and then say, now harness it. He doesn't do that. But I want to share, today's going to be chocked full of practical tips. So I'm fine if you take your phones out because it's a lot to write down. And also with um, just how to, how to do that. What does that look like and why do we do it? And so hopefully you are ready to begin. So here we are. This is where it comes from 1 Corinthians 15, and it's all over the Bible. This happens to be my favorite one. 1 Corinthians 15 is what I would call the resurrection chapter, it gives the proof of the resurrection. The proof of the resurrection that's given in 1 Corinthians 15 is irrefutable, meaning that um, many universities have actually looked at the, the information laid out in 1 Corinthians 15 and determined that it's highly improbable that Jesus Christ rose, didn't rise from the dead. Like, There's so much proof that the, the Harvard Law Schools say 98% probability based on evidence, just evidence alone, that yes, this actually happened. And that's not just Christian evidence, that's historical evidence. So that is what the chapter's about. However, Paul starts the chapter out with this statement. Now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. They're saved. They're brothers and sisters. Why is he retelling them the gospel? And I guess I would take you back to a hymn because I'm a hymn lover too. And so I want to take you back to this hymn and you'll know it because it goes like this. I love to tell the story for those who know it best, seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when in scenes of glory I send the new new song to will be the old old story that I have loved so long. The people that are believers are hungering and thirsting to hear that story just like everybody else because it reaffirms them. It, it does things to us when we preach the gospel to ourselves. What does that look like to stand in the gospel? Well, there was a, a friend of mine a few weeks back when we were at a camp shared what, what this has done for him. And it's, it's funny because it, it is a lot of people I'm running into lately that are talking about this. What does it look like to preach the gospel to yourself? And this is what he did. He said each night before he went to bed, he plays a song or two of worship music, music that is focused on God's character and promises, not on my needs or who I am. If you have the time, you can wake up in this same way. End your day there, start your day there. Now, if you're like, well, what's good worship music? You know, is um, NF, KB, no, those are rappers. <laughs> you're not gonna follow them. <laughs> you know, worship music is just centered on who God is. A good one, Hillsong worship, right? I mean just download an album of hillsong worship. Um, Michael W Smith has some great worship music. There's lots of good worship artists just songs completely focused on who God is and his character. Go to bed thinking about that, waking up thinking about that. That's a great way to fall asleep, wake up. I think that's that's what it looks like to stand. But here's the other one. You know, we can we can think about this. Well, how does it what does it look like to stand in this? And we're going to look at three three things we we get out of preaching the gospel to ourselves daily, but we first have to know what that even looks like. And so in Philippians 4 8 and 9, Paul says this Finally, brothers and sisters, remember now he's talking to believers again, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. In this particular um, verse, verses, is where our, our church actually developed their children's curriculum and it's a very simple curriculum ideology and it comes from this. And it's so simple, I think it's totally applicable to everybody and it's easy to remember. But it's called the No right points. And so in order to think about the right thing, you first have to know what the right thing is. That's the whole rendition of above. And then you're gonna do right, practice, and you're gonna feel right, peace. It looks like this. Know right, think right, do right, feel right. Know right, think right, do right, feel right. Very simple. If I don't know the right thing, which means I'm not in my Bible, I'm not gonna be thinking correctly. If I'm not thinking correctly, I'm likely not gonna do the correct thing. And if I don't do the correct thing, I'm gonna feel lousy. What I like to do is I like to take this and work it backwards. And so what I like to do is this. If I'm not feeling good about something, which means I feel bad, I feel jealous, angry, worrisome, I immediately ask myself, what did I do? Not what did they do to me, what did I do? I harbored ill will maybe. I'm remembering a wrong committed against me. Um, I was thinking that I deserved to be treated a certain way. What do I, so what did I do wrong? What was I thinking when I did that? Well, I was thinking that I deserved to be esteemed more than they did. I was thinking that they owed me a certain, uh, a certain way of treating me. I, I was thinking wrong. What do I know to be true? And if I don't have a no right point to back that up against, I'll never be able to see where my thinking was faulty. Where we go though, here's what we do. I'm feeling rotten and we change that second one to what did they do wrong? And we can't do that. You, you are not in charge of somebody else's personal holiness. You are only in charge of your reaction to perhaps their personal unholiness. Right? And here's where we get, here's where we get faulty. So in that thinking part, remember I said there's no innocent evil thought? Here's where our thinking can go. If you hear yourself in your mind use the word deserve, you're already wrong. You're already wrong. I deserve to be happy. No, you deserve hell. (laughs) I mean, right? I mean, if you really want to take it back to no right point, you deserve hell. Now now I should be able to exalt in anything I'm given because, man, what I deserve, I didn't get, right? Right? And any thought that has its way in your mind, here's, here's when you know it's a bad thought. If you start, if you start re, replaying sins of the past, you start replaying in your head sins of a past, even, it could be in a good way, like I enjoyed that sin, and so you start replaying that sin, like, oh, I remember when I, ooh, mm-hmm. Or you replay sins of the past that other people did to you, and you replay those. Or perhaps you start scheming in your thought mind. Nobody sees it, but you start scheming. Boy, it'd be really nice if they got theirs. My favorite verse in the Bible is, I am the Lord, the wrath is mine, right? Vengeance for them, right? And all of a sudden you start scheming in your head what it would look like if they really got theirs. Or scheming in your head, what it would look like if I just played around with having that affair, right? And you start scheming that. And the third way is the imagination. You let your imagination roam free. This is where what we read in literature or what we see in movies, the enemy will bring that stuff back and play with our imagination. Well, what would it be like to be that person in that book or that movie? It'd be Fifty Shades of Wrong is what it would be, right? Oh, I'm not referencing any book in particular. Okay? But really, that's what we're talking about. There's no innocent, evil thought. God brought this to me um, two weeks ago. Um, Anybody, we're gonna age ourselves here, but anybody remember the old Atari um, game Pong? Pong, you remember Pong? Okay, Pong, yes. Okay, could take you down in Pong. Just saying. Okay, anyway. (laughs) I am not competitive at all. (laughs) How Pong worked, the very first Atari game, was you had this line, this bar at the top that was made up of little, almost looked like Lego bricks. And they formed a very cohesive bar end-to-end of the screen. And there was some space above it. Then you had your one little Lego brick down here and the ball would bounce and hit your Lego brick and it would bounce back up and it would take out a bar of Legos over here. And so you would try to get all those. Your goal was to get rid of the whole bar of Lego bricks. But here's what would happen. Like if you were good and you wanted to, you tried to take the ones out at the end so that you would create a hole and if you could get your ball up there, it would go like this. And it would just, and you'd sit back eating your Sammy. Right? (laughs) Right? But here's how this works in our mind, because I think this is a great picture of what happens. Picture that bar, and there would be little towers that make up that bar. Here's my marriage. Here's my parenting. Here's my ministry. Here's my work. Here's my friendships. And each one would be made up of a different bar. Now, if I let a, a thought get in there that's an evil thought, you know what it's going to do? It's going to wreak havoc on every area. I know that. If I'm not thinking right based off of what I know, it will affect every area of my life, every area. Take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ is what he says. That's how it works. Take those thoughts captive because all of our evil actions come out of our evil mind that comes out of a, a fact that I didn't know better or I didn't know better and I'm choosing and selecting disobedience which means I no longer have the shield of protection around me. I hope that sticks with somebody because man, it has stuck with me. And I use this. Here's Here's how it works in my house. If I look grumpy, and by God's grace, I love the fact that my friend Donna will attest to the fact that as much as I've made references to my little anger outbursts, she said, that's so funny, that's not even you. And I'm like, oh, that is so God. Like that that doesn't even define me. But every now and then, come on, let's face it, I have four kids. Every now and then my countenance might look grumpy or I might look like um, Mitchell, they, they've named my lines here, my 11. It was so nice of them to name my wrinkles. Okay, quick, quick sidebar. Doing math this year with Mitchell, this is what happens. All right, we're talking and we're doing geometry. I homeschool Mitchell. And so I said, so Mitchell, parallel lines are lines that go like this and they never cross. And he goes, oh, like you're 11? Yeah, yeah, buddy, that would, that would be it. And then we got to perpendicular lines. And I said, so perpendicul- perpendicular lines go like this. And he goes, oh, like how your 11 meets your, your railroad tracks. I'm like, dude, are you kidding? Stick with the book. We got to obtuse angles. Guess where I've got one? Right here. Acute angles right here, and they're not so cute either. I don't even want to tell you where we went with trapezoids, okay? We're just not even going there. But in any event, right, I don't even know where I was on that, my countenance might look grumpy. And so my daughter, Charlie, she's so good at this. She'll be like, Mom, you look, you look like you're, you know, you're frustrated. And I'm like, I am feeling a little frustrated. She's like, what did you do? <gasps> <laughs> Why did I teach them so well? <laughs> what did you do? I'm like, I didn't actually do anything. She's like, well, you must have. You look frustrated. <sighs> Mom, what were you thinking? And so she'll, now I'm faced with the opportunity though to either choose to show her scripture works or choose to show her how to stink in my, or sit in my stink. And every time the Lord is so faithful and he allows me to, to humble myself and say, well, I was frustrated because blah, 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 blah. Oh, what were you thinking when you did that? And I let her take me all the way through and I'm like, at the hands of a now 15 year old, she started doing that when she was nine. You know, right but she's going to have this down. Her husband is one lucky man, I'm telling you. Doesn't mean I'm going to set her up with just anybody either. I'm going to go through some sort of an application process. <laughs> lucky girl. All right, so what do we know? If we go back to our no right point, what do we know? What does it mean to preach the gospel to ourselves daily? Here's what it means. Three things. Your identity received, your purpose defined, and your power unleashed. This is, and we're gonna go through these one at a time. So let's take the very first one. Your identity is received. People tend to be product-oriented. The Lord is not. The Lord is process-oriented. He is not in love with some future version of you, remember. He is in love with you right now. He is process-oriented. He knows where you are, and his, his intent is to take you closer to him. We tend to be product-oriented. I'm not where I should be, so therefore the Lord must not love me. Like a daisy, like, oh, I messed up today. He loves me not. Oh, I didn't get the right parking spot. Apparently the Lord loves me not. Right, and that's not him. He is process-oriented. If we wanted to think about it, and I love my friend who's gonna make me do this because um, this spoke to her, so um, I'm going if I had two bags here and I bought something from, from the dime store, and something from a high-end department store, we would say, which one has more value? And we would have to say the one from the department store, right? because the cost paid for it was so much higher, it's obviously more valuable. Well, then we have to think about what was the cost paid for you? It was the blood of an innocent God. That places your value way up here. You're, the whole world is trying to find their identity, not realizing an identity is never found. No one names themselves; Identity is received. And when we receive our identity, it's really understanding how valuable he thinks we are. So valuable, the cost was through the roof as he put himself on that cross and gave his innocent blood to save us. When we can really live in that it puts everything else in perspective. I've now received my identity. I think of Judas and Matthew. You know, I, Judas, Matthew was a tax collector. Money was his thing. And yet Judas was put in charge of the money bag. Right? You, you don't read about Matthew being upset about that ever. Like, hey, I'm, the, I'm good at money. Why'd you put Judas in charge of the money bag? You don't read that ever. Instead, Matthew just understood his identity was received and walked in it, not looking to the left or the right as to what is his buddy got. From what we see in Scripture, it didn't matter to him. Oh, if we could live like that. In order to, to really solidify this and cement this, I have to share with you a story because I do, um, I do photography, so I, I, I especially enjoy wedding stories um, because I f- photograph a lot of weddings. And there was a wedding, um, and this lady named Shirley was going to be married to a a gentleman she met in her later years. She'd already been through a marriage and stuff, and and that husband had passed, and she'd got a lot of baggage, too. She felt like she was carrying a lot of baggage with her history and her past, and she had a special needs daughter who was 25 but had the the intellectual capability of about a 12-year-old. So she kind of felt like, wow this guy really is taking on a lot with my history, with my, my you know, my widowing and everything else and my, my special needs daughter. I mean, and then she'd look in the mirror and all she saw were wrinkles and she's like, and so in marital counseling, they were talking to the counselor and, um, and she's like, I just don't get it. I mean, why does he want to marry me? And the man was sitting there and he's like, because I love you. He's like, about yeah, but all my wrinkles. I mean, he's like, they're laugh lines to me. And she's like, yeah, but I mean, all the baggage I have. And he goes, seasoning. <laughs> and she's like, oh, I just don't get it. And her daughter, Amber, was invited to the wedding, was made a bridesmaid. And so at the wedding, on the wedding day, they're up on this stage, and Shirley is getting married to her betrothed. And before they say, I do, the gentleman she's about to marry turns around, and in his pocket, he has two rings. And he has one for Amber, the daughter, and one for Shirley, And he says, Amber, before I ask your mom or make her my wife, I'd like to make you my daughter. I would like to adopt you. And Amber ran up, picture this, 25-year-old girl, 12-year-old mentality, runs up, bumbling up those stairs and picks him up (laughs) and does this. I love you, 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 I love you. This is the picture. In scripture, we are called the bride of Christ. Why do you love me? Because I do. But what about my junk? Seasoning, right? And then we're also called the adopted child of God. And we have this tendency to believe of adoption, of like adopting a baby. But that is not how adoption worked in the ancient Roman world. In the ancient Roman world, you adopted a full-grown boy, after you had seen their potential to add to your family, then you adopted them. Jesus knows your potential and loves you anyway. He sees your extra 10 pounds and loves you anyway. He sees the blemishes and the boogers and the eye stuff, and he loves you anyway. He says, I choose to adopt you. I choose, I see your worth. I see your potential, and I choose to adopt you. That goes countercultural to what we do. But when we think of being adopted by Christ, He sees everything and chooses us anyway. I do this thing with my kids, and I would encourage you as parents to do this with your kids because on each one of their birthdays, before I put them to bed, I take them through this story and I say, you know what? Let's say say my daughter turned 15. And they used to actually, when they were little, they would make me line all their stuffed animals up against the wall. And then they would sit amongst the stuffed animals. And they would make me walk down and say, you know what? For eight years, you know, if God told me I could choose any one of these, and I'd pick one up and I'd be like, oh yeah, he is super adorable. And then I'd go right down the line and I'd get to my my child and I'd be like, but then I looked up and there you were with your laugh and your eyes. Now they're giggling. (laughs) You know, you know, and even on your bad days, guess what? I would always choose you. I would choose you. And on their birthday, every year, that's the story I tell. Every year, I say, I would choose you. And maybe we had a great year, maybe we had a horrible year. It doesn't matter. I would choose you every time. And then I get to tell them, and guess what? God would too. God would too. That adopted takes on a whole different meaning when you know that God adopts us at an, at an age where he can see everything and says, yeah, I choose you. Baggage, seasoning, wrinkles and all, I choose you. Snap, love that. So here's our practical application points for this. PT number one, look at your weaknesses. I'm not kidding here. Label them and then flip them into potential areas of strength. Because we all tend to identify ourselves with our weaknesses. Okay, I'm strong-willed. Okay, well, what I know about God is he takes people's biggest weaknesses and makes them into their greatest areas of strength. Moses, he couldn't speak. He became the spokesperson for the Israelites. Peter denied Christ and became the pillar on which the church was formed. Right? You're strong-willed? Great. Then I know you won't buckle for just anything. Let's put you on the right side of the cross though, right? And make sure that you're not buckling for the world and you're or not buckling, buckling under for the world and denying Jesus, right? So where you think you have a weakness, flip it. How could that be viewed by God as a strength? Maybe you're like, well, I'm so soft-spoken and I'm so shy. I bet you're a prayer warrior. I bet God could see you as a prayer warrior. I don't have very good knees though, I can't pray. Well, you can lay prostrate. <laughs> you get down on the floor, right? Next one. Memorize First Peter 3, 3 through 4. This talks about, especially for us aging ladies, it says your beauty is imperishable. Because God doesn't look at the outside, he looks at the character. And the one thing I know as I get older is as the outside may fade, the inside is getting wiser. And the one thing I can't change or won't change is my character. Spend your time on developing your character and less time on developing the shell. Number three, study his attributes. Here's some great books on the attributes of God. Okay, tons of books on the attributes of God. Download sermons. I listen to sermons when I get ready in the morning. You got 20 minutes of of FaceTime in the mirror to listen to sermons. What sermons? Well, there's some. MacArthur's Grace to You. It's a website. It's an app that goes right on my phone. And many times, John MacArthur has been preaching since I was born, so 50 years, right? And he knows Greek and Hebrew like the back of his hand. And what he does is he does verse by verse, word by word, line by line teaching. So if I'm reading something in the Bible that I don't understand, I may even Google Mark 4, John MacArthur, and chances are he has preached on it. He is not God, so I'm a Berean, and I will still look at other sources and make sure, like, if something doesn't sit right, then I think that that's a word from the Lord and I'll just make sure that that's right before I just say, by, you know, by default, he's always correct. He's still a, a person. David Platt, he's a younger preacher and he does what's called a secret church series. Six hours, these people will show up from six until midnight and he will preach for six hours straight on nothing but theology. Ooh, love it. Tim Keller, R.C. Sproul, awesome names to look up. Matt Chandler, you've just, there's lots of names of preachers to look up. But as you're driving your car, worship music or something like this, you do have time to get connected. That is the advantage of technology. Use it. Use it. And remember, fat fish don't take the bait. So if you fill up on the good stuff, you won't be tempted to entertain the rest. Fat fish don't take the bait. Capiche? Perfect, Number two, your purpose is defined to know him and make him known. the same mantra of Silver Birch Ranch to know him and to make him known. I remember seeing this Xbox commercial advertised where um, they showed a baby, and the baby was flown through the air as it looked down on its life, and so the baby kind of looked down and, and it started changing as as time flew, so it started out as a baby and then it was a, a you know a little toddler and then a, an adolescent and all the way through and kind of the clothes changed the countenance changed and it kind of flew over and you know this was the timeline of your life and so like this is your life and at the end it said life is short play more xbox <laughs> like really that's what it comes down to our life comes down to that and you know, you might chuckle at it a little bit but i wonder really like at the end of my life would i be like oh, i wish i got to level 6 you know, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think that's the purpose of our life. So what is the purpose? To know him and to make him known. We're dealing with a generation right now. We talked about this in the Q&A yesterday. So to bore you guys twice, I'm just gonna say it again. We're dealing with a generation that has been described as a generation that sees with and not through the eyes, which means because of technology, they're Googling and whatever. I can ask Siri anything. I can Google and it comes up and that I consider that truth. I see it with my eyes, it's truth. Not through the eyes, which means I take knowledge, information, I put it in my head, I noodle it around like we're talking about with Philippians 4, and now I I make a wise assumption of truth based on what I've been taught. This generation is a generation that sees with the eyes, which also means the best way to show them who Jesus is is to show them who Jesus is. With your hands, your feet, your mouth, your ears, your eyes. They're watching. You say you're a Christian, guess what? They're watching you. And they will make assumptions of Christianity based on what they see in you, a professed Christian. That is this new generation. That is how we reach them. That is how we make him known, by showing them who he is through our actions. So how, did he, how, do, how do we do that? Well, we love like he did. How did Jesus love? His love was costly. cost him everything. If you're only loving people whose life is all put together, It didn't cost you anything. It's easy to love the people whose lives are all put together, but what about the people whose lives aren't? They're the ones he would have reached out to. That love is costly. See, love changes for us. We could say something like this. I love the ocean, right? I love the ocean. And then this happens. By the way, that's Mitchell. (laughs) Yeah, so if you're like, face with a name, there it is. Great face, huh? But so... Then something like this happens and he got short and he's like, I don't want to go back in for a while. I, don't, I do not love the ocean as he's, sand is pouring out of his backside, you know? And I'm like, yeah, okay, because the ocean wasn't so kind to him. His definition of love changed. Or perhaps I say, I love the sun. Uh And then that happens. And you know what? I don't want anything to do with the sun for a while. I don't want anything to do with the sun. And we tend to take that as our definition of love. And we tend to think love is a feeling when love is truly a choice. I choose to love no matter what. And we'll even do that with God. I love God until I lose my babies or until I lose my job or until I lose my husband or until I lose my mind, you know? And then didn't act like I should have and so now I don't really love him anymore. Love is a choice. And Jesus showed us us this. It's also our proof to the whole world who's watching. In John 13, 34, and 35, it is a command. God would not command us to do something if we weren't capable of doing it. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How do we make them known? By loving like he did. That's how. And how did he love us? Well, in John three sixteen, a very familiar verse to everybody For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let's just take a look at this for a minute. He gave his only. He didn't have 12 that he divided his love between and said, well, you can have this one. He said, I have one, one, and I'm gonna give you one. So it's like if my kids had M&Ms in the car and one of them has a bag of M&Ms. I'm sure this has never happened to you. And in the back seat, one has their M&M's and the other one says, "Oh, can I have an M&M? And they're like, no. And I'm in the front seat, I'm like, dude, you have a whole bag, give them a stinking M&M. No, they're mine, I'm like, oh. And finally they, fine, here's one. It's the one that fell on the floor, but here, (laughs) right? Right, right, yeah, yeah, preach, right? So here we go, they give them one, and you're like, way to go, Jimmy. You know, But what if your son or daughter was in the back seat and they only had one M&M? And the other one says, hey, can I have that M&M? I would actually be inclined to say, no, they've only got one, let them keep it. But what if that child said, sure, you can have it? That's what happened with us. All God's love, infinity this way, infinity this way, is wrapped up in this gift he gave to us. It would be like... Sorry, a little field trip. It's like you're holding this huge bag of M&M's that extends forever that way and forever that way. And God gave it all to you. And now someone comes up and they say, can I have an M&M? No. But this bag of M&M's is actually labeled forgiveness. And they come up and they say, hey, can I have some forgiveness? No. Or maybe this bag is actually labeled love. And someone comes up to you and they say, I need some love, but I mean, it's going to cost you some time and effort, but I need some love. And you're like, no. How do you think that looks the world and to God. Because as a parent, that drives me nuts when my kids do that. I think, how selfish. Do you not know how much is in your bag? And they have a limited bag. Our bag is completely unlimited. I don't give up and have less. I actually give up and stay the same. I have more. I have more to give because what happens is when you give it away, you find that you want to give more. But so often we hold this bag that's been given to us so freely And we hold on to it with restriction. The world is watching and is asking for love, forgiveness, grace. And we go, -uh, no, don't say no. Don't say no. What kind of love is this? Well, Romans 5.10 says, "'For if when we were enemies, "'we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son.'" God died for his enemies. He died for his enemies. All he's asking us to do is forgive ours. And Romans 12, 21 tells us this. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Here's your practical tip. It is not enough to just forgive someone. You now must put something good on top of it. If you're gonna overcome evil, it's not enough to just take the evil away. You have to replace it with something else that's good, which means praying for that person, maybe writing an encouraging note, This does not mean putting yourself in a position to be hurt by that person again, if that's the case. But it does mean, you can pray for somebody and not put yourself in harm's way. Right? Practical tip. Here's uh, one warning, though. When When you are dealing with somebody who needs compassion and you plump on them a good heaping dose of truth, that may not be what they need. And so if you touch a wound too soon, you may hurt them even more. Be mindful of where people are at. Sometimes they need truth, and sometimes they need compassion. You know, I was blessed um, two weeks ago at camp to be reminded of this, and I realized I'm a truth thumper. And so that was a great message for me to hear because I have to up the ante on compassion because I can give you truth all day, and maybe to a fault, and so I have, to, I have to be very aware of the fact that I need to be more compassionate as well. That's okay. I like the fact that I'm aware of it because I'm gonna lean into that. I'm not gonna sit and be like, I'm so horrible. No, I'm not. I'm gonna be like, all right. You've obviously given me the tools, Lord. Game on. Game on. You don't sit there. When we're talking about making him known, one of the ways we can do this is to be the plus person. And so here, let's just see. What's four plus four? Four. Great, okay, and how about this one? 23 plus 62, quick. Oh, you guys are good. You guys are good. See, I'm a good homeschool mom. You guys learn that fast. So obviously, you know what that sign in the middle means. It means that whatever you have here, after you have that sign in the middle, you're gonna have more at the end. That's what being a plus person is about. After every interaction someone has with you, they should leave feeling like there's more more of him, more of them, that he values them more, whatever it is. You should never take away from a person in a conversation you have with them or about them, but you should always esteem them. We all know that if, if you're gonna talk about somebody behind their back, you'll talk about them as well behind theirs. Don't be that person. Be the one who esteems everybody and adds more to that person. Believe the best about them, love them, don't keep the record of wrongs. That's countercultural, and it will speak a multitude to the watching world. And then if you want to change the world a ripple at a time, I love that uh, Dave Wager kind of said this up here, you know, we need to change a nation. Here's how we can do this. Individually and collectively as Christians, give God the credit for things we do that we wouldn't normally do. For example, I went to the beach and uh, there was a mom who was trying to get in with her kids, and she didn't have, she was using her debit card, and they wouldn't take a debit card. Two small kids, so they said, oh, we, we only take cash. She didn't have cash. You could see the kids were like, but I wanna go to the beach, it's 98 degrees, I'm leaking right here, you know, I'm melting. And they're complaining and whining, and my heart went out to her and her friend, because it was her, her friend, and the two kids, and they made their way back to the car. And I got my kids checked in, and I thought, I have an extra 10 bucks, right? So I followed her out to the parking lot, And I said, here, you know what? Take the 10 bucks. I'm a mom. I totally get it. And she was like, oh, really? I said, yeah, totally. I'm a mom, you know, been there. She's like, oh, thank you. Well, I did a really great job of making moms look good, right? And so as I walked back into the beach, I thought, well, she doesn't know I'm a Christian. All she knows is I'm a good person who wanted to make moms look good. My heart went out to her. She doesn't know why. So then I sought them out on the beach. I stalked them because now I'm convicted and I don't do well with conviction. I need to act on it. And I found them. And I didn't go to the moms. I went to the kid, right? And I went up to him. I said, hey, buddy, do you know why I paid to let you come in here today? And he goes, no. Moms are watching over here. I said, because I love Jesus. And that's something Jesus would do. Jesus thinks about other people before himself. And he's like, oh, okay, whatever. Sand, pale, right? And I look up at the ladies and I'm like, oh, hi. and I'd march off but here's what happens if when we do something like that those ripples of kindness give the credit to God Let let them know you're a Christian and that's why you're doing it let's change the way the nation views Christianity and Christ one interaction at a time 160 women in this place how many interactions do we have each day if we each did that three times a day Somebody do that math quick, 320, 420, 480 times a day. All right, we would be giving glory to God and maybe changing what people's perception is of Christianity. Sweet. That'd be cool. See the power that's in that? That's fascinating to me. Okay, we're still on purpose to find, and our purpose is to make them known. Here's the one thing I want to end with you guys on there's five types of relationships we can have. A Christian with a Christian, where Christ is in the middle. That is called encouraging each other. A Christian with a non-Christian, with Christ in the middle. That is called evangelism. A Christian with a Christian, where Christ isn't in the middle. A Christian with a non-Christian, where Christ isn't in the middle. And a non-Christian with a non-Christian, where obviously Christ isn't in the middle. Out of all five of those, the only two that are ever identified and recognized in the Bible are these two. A Christian with a Christian where encouragement is in the middle, Christ is in the middle, and a Christian with a non-Christian where Christ is in the middle called evangelism. That should always be in the forefront of our mind. It doesn't mean that every interaction I have with a non-Christian, I'm gonna give them the gospel, but it means I'm always in tune with the spirit and being present for that, knowing that that is my goal is to at some point be used to perhaps give the gospel to them or show them who Christ is by my actions. Those are the only two two relationships the Bible even recognizes. So, in every relationship and interaction we have, that should be our mindset as well. Why don't we do this? Why don't we do this costly kind of love? Because we're too busy. We're going to take a rabbit trail and look at why we're too busy. Why are we too busy? Well, here's the first reason. Oh, be the plus person. There it is. Perfect. Trying to prove yourself. You're too busy. There's four of these. Trying to prove yourself. I want to prove myself to the world. I want to prove that I'm I'm an achievement junkie. Maybe I want to prove myself. The gospel says you already have all of the notoriety you need. You already have all the notoriety you need. Here's your practical tip for this. In the mirror, recite whose you are, not who you are. You are royalty. You are a human being, not a human doing. Okay, Practical tip number two, are you available, interruptible, approachable? Jesus was, this should be our goal. Here's a few notes of your iPhone. You date your hubby and your child without a phone. Date anybody without a phone. Never interrupt a real conversation for a virtual one. If you go out to eat with your family, keep your phone in the car and ask them to do the same. We have a rule in our house, if you sit in the car front, no phone. You sit in the front seat, no phone. That way you can talk to me. And they fight for that front seat front, no phone. They know the rule, front, no phone. And I get great conversations. Do not let the phone take precedent over a relationship. Let them see you as being interruptible, approachable. You know how to be approachable? Watch this. That's it. And I have a tendency to walk fast. And I had somebody say to me um, this summer that they were finding that people were going to somebody else instead of them for some advice. And when they asked why that might be happening, the person who people were going to said, because you always look like you're in a hurry. And that's kind of me. I always just kind of look like I'm like, oh, yeah, I gotta, hey, who's gonna interrupt you? You know, slow down your step, just slow it down. Just slow down. You'll find that more people will approach you. If you have a, a, um, a teenager and you feel like they never wanna talk to me, here's what you do. You go in their room and you just do this. Hey bud, I'm not gonna bother you. Do you mind if I, I just kinda wanna breathe your air. Do you mind if I just, I wanna sit in the, <laughs> unless they're a hockey player. <laughs> I just wanna breathe your air. I'm just gonna, do you mind if I just sit in the corner and just read my book? I'll do that, you know, I'll just go in my kid's room and it, every time, within, within a minute or two, they're talking to me. All I have to do is Just be present. Just be present. What's the second reason? You can't say no. Can't say no. You're meeting others' expectations. At the heart of this, you fear their rejection and you are addicted to their praise. The gospel says you have all the approval you will ever need, and it is not performance based. Practical tip on this be okay with disappointing some people. Jesus disappointed some people, he didn't heal everyone in Palestine. I had to be disappointing to some. It's okay to disappoint some people. My coin phrase is this. I'm not saying no to you. I'm saying yes to my family. Who is going to argue with that? Right? And I've said no to five really awesome things lately. Really good things. Like if I told you, you'd be like, you didn't do that? No, I didn't. I had to measure my priorities and say, what am I going to be giving up to do this? And is that cost too high for me? knowing that really you can take me out of ministry and somebody else can fill those shoes. You cannot take me out of my house and have that role filled by anybody else. And if that is the only role that God designed just for me, I'm pretty sure that's the one I'm gonna be held the most accountable for, right? Because nobody else can fill those shoes. Third reason why we're too busy on our rabbit trail here, you're trying to control things. Remember Peter and the fish. Peter went out fishing, they came back, they caught no fish. In those times, you fished at night or in the morning because it was cooler and the fish would be closer to the surface. Jesus comes along at high noon, very hot. Fish aren't gonna be readily available. And he says, Peter, go out and fish again. And Peter's like, oh, we just tried this. He says, I know. Now do it under my authority. And so he goes back out. You know the story. The fish were so much, it tipped the boat over. The point being that you may try to do it on your own. Now this time, do it with him in charge. You may say, I've tried that with my husband before. I know. Now do it again. And this time, give the results and the power over to Christ. Because my guess is you, were, you went in with expectations. Maybe go into the same situation expecting only to glorify God in how you respond to maybe the same, the same reaction or the same outcome. Here's your practical. Read Ecclesiastes eleven four 4 through 5. Read Job 38. For 37 chapters, Job asks for counselor. And finally in Job 38, God does not give counsel, but he gives him a counselor. He doesn't give him help, he gives him the helper. That's how God works. He says, I'm not gonna give you 10 bucks. I'm gonna give you the keys to the bank vault. Help yourself. Wow, what an awesome God. Awesome God. Last one, you're trying to make the most out of this life. Elderly ladies, my elderly friends, there is no word retire in the Bible. You're not done being used until you're in the grave. I'm sorry, I told you I'm a little bit of a truth thumper. That's a truth thump. Okay, you are not done being used. We need you in the church. You accompany and personify wisdom and that is what is lacking today. Will you please get involved with the younger generation in the church? You have Right? Thank you. We need you. We need you. And there is, there is no word retire. Here's my practical tip. Spend some time at a cemetery. I'm not even kidding. I know that, don't, don't go when it's like dismal and lightning and pouring out. I mean, don't do that. Early morning, sun is rising, coffee in hand. Ah, go to the cemetery. And now think about that. All of those people spent their entire life trying to make a name for themselves and you have no clue who they are. So is my life supposed to be spent making a name for myself or making a name for him? And every one of those people had plans the next day. The brevity of life is a reality. I've met a lot of people this week struggling with the death of a loved one. Understand, your days are numbered. You can't keep someone alive a moment longer than God has ordained, and you can't take them out a moment sooner than God has ordained. Even in the case of suicide, if they had not taken their own life, that still would have been their day. They could have honored God more in how they went out, for sure, but that, does not, that is not a deal breaker by any means. We understood? Perfect. So the brevity of life that is a, one of my favorite places to spend my time is at a cemetery. I know that sounds crass, but it really is it gives me an eternal focus. It's like the you know if I said how many of you guys like to go camping? How many of you guys like to go camping? Perfect. Would you go camping and bring bolt construction there to build you a house? You would never do that. I would call that stupidity. Right? To to build a house on a campsite I'm going to be at for a week? then why are we building for ourselves a house on the campsite called Temporal? Because that's what we're doing. When we are so focused on making a name for ourselves and and living this life, making this our best life now, that we're not even thinking about that, we are building a house on a campsite. Don't do it. Don't do it. Okay, that's it for our busyness rabbit trail. Third reason we preach the gospel to ourselves... Power is unleashed. There's a restaurant that I heard about, and in this restaurant, they have a red Jaguar. And the red Jaguar is a fast, impressive car with a ton of power under the hood. But when you turn the corner and go around to see this red Jaguar, this is what you see, a salad bar. (laughs) And some Christians are like this. They have all that power at their disposal, and they're happy to just be a salad bar. You need to understand the power under your hood. My greatest fear is getting to heaven and having God be like, hey, I'd like to show you what your life could have been like if you would have lived it for me. Oh! I'd like to show you the power that was at your disposal that you didn't use. Oh! Right? We need to understand that power. It's like if you were, were to watch, sorry, Illinois girls, but I gotta do it. So for instance, let's say last week as I was watching the Packer game, and it was 20 to zero at halftime. Now let's say I had t would that game ahead of time, and I saw the outcome, 24, 23, I saw the outcome ahead of time, right? I don't mean to rub it in, <laughs> kind of do. I know, I'm so sorry, kind of, all right. <laughs> but so let's say I tivo it, and I saw the outcome of that game ahead of time, and I came home at halftime, and I saw the score 20 to zero, but I also t would it, so I knew they were gonna win. What's my reaction to a 20 to zero? I'm stinking excited to see how this happens. I'm like, no way, I can't wait to see how they come out of this. Now, if I didn't TiVo it and I didn't know the outcome, I might be depressed and go to bed, which is what I did, unfortunately. (laughs) I know and woke up to play a 12-minute replay on my computer quick, right? But that is what I did. And I I might be like, despair, forget it, I'm out of the game. Do you understand we already win? we win. In the end, we win. We've TiVo'd this life. It doesn't matter what happens to you because we win. Now, if you know the outcome, what if I know they're going to win and I come in at halftime and I'm like, oh man, gosh, don't you even think about that. You come in and you say, oh, I can't wait to see how this turns out. (gasps) wow. Right? Because here's the thing, this is how I wanna to get to heaven. There's two ways to get to heaven. If you've ever seen the Polar Express, there's these guys that are in the caboose and they're drinking their hot chocolate, like, hmm, hot, 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 hot chocolate, hot, right? And then there's a couple of people that are doing it a different way. Let's just see how they do it. Now, if while you watch that, you're like, I almost threw up, I know. <laughs> but if you could see and you like saw the end and you're like, oh, they're gonna be, they're gonna be safe. Well, hang on for the ride. I mean, you can get into heaven with your, with your knees looking good on your pants. You can get in your beaten, battered, and bruised for the Lord. I want to get into heaven beaten, battered, and bruised. Because here's what I know about power. There's this portion in Acts where um, the sons of Skeva are there, and they're, uh, the disciples are trying to take this demon out of them. And the, the, the guy looks at him, and they're like, Hey, you know, uh, Jesus we know, and, and Paul we recognize, but you? And I'm like, Whoa, wait a minute. They recognize Paul? the demon world recognizes Paul? Like, could we live our lives in such a way that the demon world would recognize our name, our face, our prayers? Like, when I I drop to my knees like this, the entire demon world collectively yells, crap, she's doing it, she's gonna pray. And maybe when I die, I'm finally off the earth, the demon world throws a party that I'm finally gone. Can we live our lives with power unleashed like that? And we do have power. We even have the power to do the unthinkable. Remember Cinderella? We have the power to forgive, but here's what we do. Right? Somebody comes up and they wrong us and we're like, well, let me take out all the things you've done to me before. And we start unloading all of the record of wrongs we've kept from them. And then when we're done, you know what we do? We load them back in. We add the new one to it, and we carry it along. And you can recognize people because they look a little like this. They're walking slow. They look a little bit like they're in pain, and they look burdened. You have the power to do the unthinkable. You have the power to forgive. That is power unleashed unleashed power. I love that. And here's what's in it for you. You know what? God doesn't call failure final ever. There's this account in the book of Acts chapter 8 and chapter 9. And in chapter 8 is Philip. Now Peter is the head of the church at this point. The first half of Acts is about Peter. Last half is about Paul. So Peter is really the, the go-to guy. He's the exec. All right? And Philip is, he, he, he like baptizes this guy Simon. Simon's kind of a a magician-y kind of guy, and he baptizes him because Simon says he believes. Well, Philip comes on the scene, or Peter comes on the scene, and Peter's like, he's not a believer, and he chastises Simon. Now, if you were Peter, I'm sorry, if you were Philip, and you had just baptized Simon, and Peter, the exec, shows up on the scene and says, you made a mistake, how are you gonna feel? Shame. Failure. Man. I gotta go hide out. What is so cool is the very next chapter, Acts chapter 9, God dispatches Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch, and he has him run up to the chariot where that eunuch is reading the scroll of Isaiah and explain it to him. And the very thing he has him do is to baptize him. So you may think it's failure, but God sees your failures as opportunities, not final. Your failure is never final. It is only an opportunity to do it different the next time. I think as a mom I needed to hear that, as a wife I needed to hear that, as a ministry worker I needed to hear that, and as a person I need to hear that. My failure is never final, simply an opportunity, and God sees it as like, cool, this is an opportunity to do it different. Sweet! Paul did this. Paul was untouchable. The kind of power we have is like Paul. Paul was literally untouchable. Watch this. They say, we'll kill you Paul says, to die is gain. They said, fine, we'll leave you alone. Well, to live is Christ. They said, uh, we'll torture you. I do not compare the sufferings of this world to be anything under the glory of God. <sighs> we'll imprison you. Okay, well, give me a few hymns, I'll convert all your guards. <laughs> you couldn't touch the guy. That's the kind of power we have. You can't touch us. I get it, you're doing this to me. Well, well how can I make the most for Christ out of this situation? Okay, here. You know, God obviously allowed it. Let me, let me do this. Whoa, that is power unleashed. How do you know you're not living to make him known? When someone else is esteemed in an area in which you are gifted and you can't get over it. When someone else is esteemed in an area in which you are gifted and it is eating you up inside, you are no longer operating for the glory of God, you are operating for your own glory to make a name for yourself. Practical, practical tips. tips accountability partner, I've said it three times this weekend, this is number four. I cannot stress it enough. This person has to be a believer. You do not want to be held accountable by the world. That doesn't even make sense. And then I want you to picture this, picture the footstool. Um, the camp we were at a couple weeks ago, the speaker mentioned the footstool and I couldn't get it out of my head. And I thought, a footstool, really? Because three times, at least in scripture, I've seen where um, the enemy is under the footstool of Jesus' feet. That means you need to picture this. When you are believing lies from the enemy, picture the demonic world under this footstool with Jesus' feet squarely on top of it and it's from under there they're screaming those lies at you. You're not worth it, really? We're gonna give power to a a bunch of squirmy little demons that are stuck under the footstool of my Lord's feet? Really? Instead, just walk around like this. (laughs) <laughs> right and I'm telling you do it picture the footstool I'm gonna end with you guys on the story of Ariel because this is really power unleashed Ariel was a 22 year old student in a theology seminary and she got a diagnosis saying that there was something wrong with her brain and really was given a diagnosis that gave her a limited term lifespan, and she didn't know how long she was going to live but it was going to be less than a year and could be anywhere from two months to a year and Ariel's came and she told the students in her seminary class what, what had happened and the diagnosis, and they were all, of course, grieved, which is a very natural response, right? And then she took some time, she said, I'm, I just, I'm gonna process this through you guys, and I just wanna bring back to you anything the Lord brings to me, so that maybe I can make sense out of, you know, why this is happening, and maybe not even why, but what he would maybe wanna teach us out of it. Very wise 20, 20-some-year-old girl. She came back two weeks later, and she said, I have three insights, This is power unleashed right here. Number one, God has good plans for my life. He's not gonna take me until his plans are fulfilled. He has good plans. As long as I'm living and breathing upright, he has a plan for my life, or he would have taken me already. It's not like he's up there and he's like, he's like, oh, I sure hope she can keep herself alive until that plan is unfolded. Oh, careful. Uh-uh. He's like, take a risk. God takes no risks so you can take as many as you want. I'm not talking risks like disobedience. I'm talking risks for his name. You, take, you, you step out in disobedience, you're on your own. You're gonna suffer the consequences for that. Doesn't mean he's gonna leave you. He will never leave you. Let me just do a little rabbit trail here for just a second. You cannot lose your salvation once you're in. I need you to know that. Your good performance didn't get you in. Your bad performance won't kick you out. There's a portion of scripture where Jesus says um, that he is here to do the will of God, the Father who sent him. It's in John 6, 36. He says, I'm here to do the will of God, the Father who sent me, and his will is that I lose not one that he gave me. So if you were given to him in the palm of his hand and he would lose you, he would be going against the will of God. You go against the will of God, it means you're disobeying. It means you're a sinner. Jesus is not a sinner. He's not gonna go against the will of God. He cannot Lose you. Not ever. You cannot lose your salvation. Once you're in, you're in. Now, you may not be as close to the Lord at some times and you may be closer, but you cannot lose your salvation. Don't ever forget that. Number two insight from Ariel Jesus knows what it's like to only have a few, few years life, left, yet he saw each day as an opportunity to serve and to love God. We don't know how much time we have left, but each day is an opportunity to serve and to love God in whatever he gives us. The third thing Ariel said is my condition isn't really that different from every person. I'm just forced to recognize each day that I get more fragile. Every single person on their day of birth begins the process to their day of death. It's called a consequence of the curse. At some point when we're praying for somebody to stay alive, the answer will be no. That's the consequence of the curse. And she was wise enough to say her condition just isn't that different, but she's in a position where she can look and reflect on it differently and say, I can, I'm forced now to recognize that each day I get more fragile. Everybody else doesn't even recognize that. They don't recognize it. As she looked in the mirror, she said to herself, is this the strongest I'll ever be? Is this the prettiest? It was on a day where things started kind of going wrong and she could feel herself getting more frail. She said, is this the prettiest I'll ever be? Is this the strongest I'll ever be? And her answer, and she looked herself in the mirror and she said, No! One day this body will be able to do immeasurably more than it ever could here on the earth when I get to heaven and get my new body in glorification. Amen? Amen. Amen. I remember putting Mitchell into the bathtub one day and I had to take his hearing aids out. And I said, Hey, Mitchell, you know, I've got to take your hearing aids out. And he goes, Mom, I just want to hear you. And I said, Oh, right? I said, Well, you know what, though, Bud? in heaven? Are you going to have hearing aids in heaven? This is before his cochlear. He goes, yeah. I said, no, you're not going to have hearing aids in heaven. God, there's nothing like that in heaven. He's like, really? I said, no. And I said, you know, Max and Charlie with their glasses, do you think they'll have glasses in heaven? He's like, no. I said, no. And then you could hear it. It was like this wheel turning in his head as he looked at me and said, mom, are you going to be tall in heaven? (laughs) <laughs> no <laughs> here 's your practical practical tip on that fun story isaiah sixty one three i 'll end on this for the spirit of heaviness, put on a garment of praise when you are feeling heavy, depressed, just heavy laden, burdened, begin out loud to praise God for. Every blessing you have, fight through the urge to focus on the heaviness and the weight of that. Added bonus, play the song by Michael W. Smith because it, this whole the whole song "Fight My Battles" came from Isaiah sixty one three. Here's what it looks like: I'm feeling heavy, burdensome. I walk around my house and I just say, "Thank you that I have feet that work that can walk. Thank you for for chocolate, right? Thank thank you that I have a roof over my head. Thank you that I know where all my kids are, even though I might not like where they are. But thank you that I know where they are and. It is amazing the spirit of heaviness that gets lifted as you start to count your blessings and praise God out loud. And if your kids see you doing it, extra bonus. You just taught them how to do it too. I'm gonna pray with you guys. I consider it a privilege and an honor that you allowed me to be here this week. I feel more blessed from you than you probably were from, the, from me, but it's because we were both focused on the word of God. If there's anything I want you to leave with, it's this. You are not saved by your works, And don't preach a grace-centered gospel till you've had the guts to tell them that they need mercy. We are sinners in need of a savior. That's step number one. And then, yes, overflowing grace day by day, day by day, he has lots of grace for us. And the other one is live in your identity. Don't, Don't do this. There's no reason to look right and to look left. If you're gonna do it, just cheer them on and then get back on your path and live the life God has for you. Father God, Lord, I pray and I thank you so much. Oh, what a blessing it has been. I've fallen in love with these women, Lord. Oh, you have made them incredible, fearfully and wonderfully. That word fear, remember, is about awe and reverence towards God. And so, Father, as we leave this place, help us to take that awe and reverence with us in a lifestyle of worship worship that doesn't end at the church door, but follows us into any sphere of influence you have placed in front of us. Help us now to be a ripple effect spreading the gospel, spreading God's love and cheer and Christianity across the nation, Lord, and help us be a part of that change. Help us to be the change, Lord. Countercultural won't be popular, but I know that you've raised up some warriors in this room. And so I pray as we go out, we go out in a united mind that we are gonna fight the cause, and the cause is the love of Christ and the gospel of your son. We pray that this weekend goes with us, Lord, and doesn't stay here, and we pray this all in your son's name, Jesus, one last time, they all said... Yeah. Amen. Thanks.